You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. So as we said, that, that, uh, this is Abraham. And this is Ryan O. And so we were just uh, trying to tickle your brain a little bit, as they say. I want to start by telling you a real quick story about someone whose name is Reese, I believe. Reese Baker. And in, uh, this is a blog published in 2015. And so Reese was an individual who um, was experiencing depression from the age of 14. And I didn't get an idea of uh, her, his or her age at the time that this was this blog was published, but uh, suffice it to say, an adult. And so this this person, Reese, was using these ASMR videos to manage his or her depression and found that they were useful in, more useful than drugs, than like therapy, than those things um, that, that they tried in helping them manage their depression. So kind of a interesting thing we wanted to sort of peek into, um, see, see what's there, right? Yeah, exactly. So as always, let's start with what is ASMR? Where'd it come from? All of that jazz. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it stands for autonomous sensory meridian response. This is coined in 2010 by someone named Jennifer Allen. And each one of those words was chosen specifically to reflect what was, the overall experience of what was going on for these people. Other names that were proposed before this this particular term was coined included things like attention-induced euphoria, attention-induced observant euphoria, auditory-induced head orgasm, brain massage, head tingle, brain tingle, spine tingle, and brain orgasm, and probably some more as well. Yeah, so the idea is that you have some automatic that's the uh, autonomous part, right? Yeah, exactly. What's the meridian referred to? That has to do with the fact that it reaches a sort of peak where you get sort of your maximum level of satisfaction or experience out of the out of the whatever thing you're engaged in. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is, people may be familiar with like, a, there's a whole YouTube genre and like wing of Reddit that is particularly dedicated to people creating this sort of stuff, um, exploring it. I know the biggest thing that I found was a lot of people, it seems like in the last 10 years, have realized that they're not the only ones that experience this sort of thing. So it sounds like there's a really quick, fast culture that's developed around this on the internet um, over the last, I don't know, decade? Yeah, and I wanted to point out with the term, um, although they originally proposed things like brain orgasm and then we'll talk about something called frigion which some people refer to as a skin orgasm it's 
a lot of people want did not want to use that term specifically because this was not this is not supposed to be sexual. The, their experience of it was not sexual. It had nothing to do with anything sexual for them. And they really wanted to try and move away from these terminologies that were related to sexual experiences because it really was something just very different. Yeah, I heard people talk about it as a very calm and like relaxing thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Trying to also just, you know, make it sound different from that. Now, presumably, you sort of started talking about the history here. Presumably, this is something that people would have been able to experience throughout time, but it hasn't ever really been recorded or written about. As you said, it really emerged in the, I guess you could say the literature or the culture as recently as 2010. Although, I did find that one Australian writer claimed that Virginia Woolf first described ASMR, uh, obviously not calling it ASMR because that term has only been around for eight years um but that it was sort of indirectly described in a book she published in 1925 in which as part of the story a nurse speaks to a man in the hospital um in this particular gravelly intentional voice in a way that makes his spine sort of tingle and he experiences these waves and it sort of sounded like what we would talk about as being asmr that was his claim at least yeah and then it, it was it kind of like resurgenced in a way like on a medical website, right? Yeah, uh, the contemporary origin is attributed to some anonymous post. I mean, the the poster had a name, but we don't know. It was like a, just a username, and yeah. they, they were describing their experience as having this this tingling sensation. I think that they were initially sort of concerned about like why am I having this this response, and then a lot of people were responding to that post and like oh I have that too, and it sort of became a thing that began to emerge and other people became be, became interested in as a something to study in its own right. So one of the things that there are a lot of things that people when they first started looking into this were trying to see is this related to something else that we already know exists, which is that's good scientific practice, right? Trying to figure out, is this a part of something we already know about, but we just never really described that thoroughly. That's more yeah. parsimonious than inventing a whole new category of things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that this is related to is this thing called frisson, um, which also is sometimes called aesthetic chills. And, um, this is the experience you might have that's like sort of when you get a shiver or goosebumps specifically to something that's sort of exciting or emotionally impactful. And really this is commonly associated with musical performances when you hear those big emotional dramatic sort of crescendos and it sort of makes you tingle a little bit. That's the idea of frisson and you specifically can feel your your skin get those bumps sometimes referred to as goose flesh in some cultures usually as goosebumps in the U.S. Um, but that's that's what frisson is, and that was something that was associated with this, but that's not always what happens for people who experience this, although some of them do experience frisson when they're watching or engaging in an a ASMR activity. Yeah, okay, so this is actually, we in the scientific community talk about frisson as something different than what we're talking about today, this ASMR. Or are they still trying to understand the differences between the two? There's, yeah, it's unclear if they're how different they are. It seems to be that that some people who um, experience ASMR do claim frisson. It does, so it's they're related in some way, but it's unclear how. Okay, now I found the first paper, and I'm using that in air quotes because I always get a little skeptical when I I see the first paper on any topic ever being in the last like hundred years. Uh, or 10 years, sorry, I was exaggerating there. 
but the first empirical like peer-reviewed journal articles okay they started coming out in 2015 um that was sort of a landmark article yeah and part of the reason i get a little skeptical is just it's probably been talked about like in that um book that you talked about earlier right like someone's talked about it somewhere probably under a different term or different um lost you know journal or piece of work somewhere yeah if anyone has those if anyone has any of those please send them in um but the first one i found there's a 2015 article where they're looking at the triggers, like what's actually triggering these ASMR experiences um, yeah. with the idea that the implications could be how to help depression or chronic pain. Or at least um, the extent to which that it did, because some people were reporting that it, it did. And yeah. like, what a cool, like low impact intervention that would be if all you had to do was like watch a video um, that made you, you know, tingle a little bit. And then that, was uh, helped you manage your depression yeah so some of the takeaways from this study just real quick where they were looking at uh, a whole bunch of things like sounds like you heard us at the beginning with the whispering some sort of personal attention or crisp sounds um like abraham did with the what was that like tinfoil oh no it was i was tearing a piece of paper into the microphone ah uh, okay um these these things are close personal attention they they found that those would be able to produce this sort of uh, experience as people rated it um, on rating scales when listening to videos uh, over the internet. Right. But sounds like laughter or vacuum cleaner, those weren't producing the same effects. Now, for, for a very small proportion of people, they did report having the similar experience, but for the vast majority of people, you're right, that, that, that those were not effective. Yeah, and that same study was looking at um, a few different things. They said that there's a possible link with synesthesia, which I know we'll get into a little bit more later. Yeah. And they're looking at in what sort of mood changes there were. I don't know the exact way they were measuring these mood changes. Uh, I, I, uh, so I looked Do into you know? that. Yeah. Um, so there, yeah, I had like a whole thing on here about sort of how this was related to I guess, mental health and, and that sort of thing. So if we want to like circle back around to that, um, you know, and I'll, I'll speak to the synesthesia part really quick, just that that was another one in with, with Frisian that, you know, there was interest in understanding how the two seem to be related. Um, and especially because a high proportion of the people who did report experiencing ASMR also reported having synesthesia, sort of um, uh, some overlap there. And synesthesia, which I believe we've mentioned before, but just in case you new or don't know or haven't listened or whatever or don't remember um synesthesia is the um when you experience one sensation in the context of another and the common one that's reported is like hearing a particular sound when you look at a color or seeing a color when you look at a number or a word so like the number three is always like green to somebody um, or something like that and so uh, having an association of multiple sort of senses uh, visually auditorily or other that are related to the experience of something specific like a, a totally different visual or auditory cue if that makes sense Okay, yeah. So the researchers were Emma Barat, uh, Nick Davis. So the title was ASMR, A Flow-Like Mental State. And largely they did two things. A thousand person survey looking at those who have reported they have ASMR experiences. Um, 
and if they reported or not these this calmness relaxation after watching videos and they found that 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 was what was happening as i mentioned before but then they were also interested in the physiological experience of asmr um, and specifically hooked up people that uh, to these sort of uh, sensors on their fingertips and such to where they can measure what was going on with their heart rate and they saw a reduction in the heart rate for those that said that they experienced it when they were watching these videos as opposed to the folks that came in that would not report having ASMR experiences, they did not see a decrease in heart rate with them when they were watching these. So they claim that it was the first study to really look at the physiological responding, and in a sense, they were claiming that they were validated that these feelings were real for the people that were reporting them, which, interesting, um, we have to always take this on an individual level, right? Um, well, and, and their, their study was a survey, so they weren't getting direct measures of those um, like bodily experiences and bodily sensations. Um, and they were at the University of Swansea. I found a link to the same article that... Okay, I'm going to have to do a little bit of research real quick on the fly here because I found that they were measuring that in a video. Um, in the 2015 article? Okay, sorry. Yeah, I was crossing two different articles here. That's, okay. That's funny. So the first one was the survey, correct. The second one was totally different, four different authors here. And it was titled, More Than a Feeling, ASMR is Characterized by Reliable Changes in Affect in Physiology. Oh, yeah. I saw that article. My apologies. Yeah, that's all good. June in 2018. Oh, right. Recent. recent. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so where are we? Well, did um... We, did we clean that up enough? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're... Um, what I think is maybe useful is to talk about some of the common triggers, some of the types of stimuli and experiences that are related to or that people seek out when they experience this ASMR. And so the range is pretty considerable and varies quite a, quite a lot, but it does appear that for a lot of people, the, the type of stimuli that work for this tend to cluster, cluster around some sort of common themes. First, that, that they tend to be auditory or visual or both. And what that means is that does exclude, um, or at least it doesn't necessarily occur when being physically touched. So the sensation is produced more from contact with visual or auditory stimuli, not so much from uh, physical or kinesthetic stimuli. Not to say that it couldn't occur, but it tends to be that it's more visual or auditory. And in that study that we've been talking about, the Barat and Davis, the, they had about uh, 500 people and they had this uh, survey. And when they were um, asking about triggers, there were several common ones that we sort of talked about already. Um, and I think, I don't remember if um, watching repetitive tasks or slow movements were in there, but the, that is uh, related. Um, and so one common one, if you look on YouTube, is Bob is videos of Bob Ross, like leading an instructional video on painting something or just, you know, painting something. And, um, and so you get sort of the slow movements that's very gentle and quiet and evenly paced and whatnot. And one of the things that's been noted by... It wasn't actually in this article, but other people have noted that seems to be going on with these triggers is that they seem to include intentionality and they're th very thorough. They're sort of expert approach to things. They're careful and involve these sort of deliberate movements. That seems to be what what people are what seem to function as triggers for people a lot of the time is that they have those kind of features to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. All right. And so in the article, they did find that um, the the triggers that were most common 
um, were whispering, um, which was 75% of of people that they contacted reported that whispering was one, uh, personal tension for 69%, crisp sounds at 64%, and slow movements at 53%. And then um, I only about a third of participants reported that their ASMR was triggered by watching those repetitive tasks. So anyway, um, there were other things that were that could be associated with ASMR, as you sort of mentioned, the vacuum cleaner and laughing, that sort of thing. Um, those don't, those did not typically function. Um, they were effective by less than uh, less than three percent of participants. But um, but yeah, so those are some of the, the common triggers that were that were seen. Um, so it was like three percent for airplane noise, two percent for vacuum cleaner, sort of these white noise sorts of things. But the vast majority of of people there t- seem to be uh, those the whispering, personal attention, crisp sounds, and slow movements that sort of thing. And for the crisp sounds, they mentioned specifically metallic foil, tapping fingernails, scratching sounds like on a rough surface. Um, and that's, and that's actually why I chose the tear in the paper that you sort of get that, that crackling crisp sound that I was trying to create that experience. So maybe, maybe I made someone's skin tingle as we went. <laughs> yeah. So we can dive into that sensation real quick, right? So the, the vast majority of people are talking about this tingling sensation that begins at their head and then travels down through their, like their neck and into their shoulders. Yeah. Have you ever experienced anything like this? Do you think? I, I don't think that I get it from any of like these typical videos and stuff. I do get it from the frisian where we talked about that earlier when I'm watching something that's I'm really into and very emotional. Um, I can almost in a sense, like create the conditions to trigger that for me. Um, well, I, if I, I wanted to, I'm actually wondering, I, th- I think that that's probably fairly common. And I'm wondering if the reason that this hasn't been talked about before in the past is because it's so common that people didn't really pay much attention to it as being anything other than just something that human beings experience, that there's some amount of this, like things that are emotional or that they're engaging or that they're, they really capture our attention like music, like movies, like that sort of thing that they can, um, that, that there weren't, didn't think of this, this emotion is like, well, that's just part of, that's just part of something that we experience sometimes. There's no need to like isolate (laughs) that for, you know? Yeah. I, so since I didn't have a word for it and like I wasn't obvi- like aware and counting it, which is what I do in my world, like I'll kind of see how often, how frequently I experience these things. Like right. I don't have a really good accurate representation of how often I experience this. I will be paying attention to this very closely the next like month of my life. Yeah, yeah. You know? Me too. <laughs> um, I watch a lot of videos. I do not watch anything in, on, in the ASMR world, what's created specifically there. Um, so I'm going to be trying to pay attention. The one thing it did remind me of is um, when folks put, uh, for me specifically, if someone puts their hand on carpet and like I watch it, mm-hmm. like get drug across, it's either the visual or I can kind of feel it just describing it right now. Yeah. Um, or by the- uh, You're one of them. Watching their hands. Um, it gives me that feeling. I don't like it. It's not calm and relaxing. Oh, okay. Like it's, it almost evokes like a little bit of anxiety related stuff. I see. Like it's just like, ah, no, thank you. You know, it, yeah. it gives me that cringe feel. I say there's like a, the sound of someone scraping ice off on a windshield that that sends shivers down my spine, but it's very unpleasant. So I think that's probably something different. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Sounds very similar to what I'm talking about with the carpet here. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have experienced this, but it's been extremely rare. I never got it from any of the videos that I saw and it didn't, 
Um, it was inconsistent. So like, I, I feel like I can relate to the sensation, but I don't know. I don't know. Like it's certainly not something I experience very commonly. I'm not, I'm not particularly sensitive to this as other people might be. So, um, yeah, I tried looking at different videos. I, I pulled about 20, um, wow. of the biggest ones in the different areas, uh, kind of like a range of these, um, triggering situations and i was unable to do it at all to yeah. myself like trigger anything there's some pretty popular ones um if you um i have a link to this article as well as the blog in the notes um there, there's a lot of different channels that, that you could look so i mean honestly I, i'm not gonna put a link to every one of the videos but if you just go type in um like asmr videos even into youtube like you'll be able to find some things there's yeah, there's hundreds of thousands of videos. Yeah, it's so unbelievable. It's pretty easy to find. So I don't want that many links in our show notes. <laughs> so going back to what we were talking about here is as that most people you sort of said they feel it in their sort of their head and their shoulders. Some people did report that it sort of went down into their legs and they'd feel the tingling there as well. And in that article, Barat and Davis reported that the extent to which it is experienced throughout the body and like down into the legs seems to depend on how effective that trigger was for the listener or the, the person in this particular situation. And um, they also went on to talk about that depression thing. And so this is, you know, we, we sort of mentioned and circling back to, to this now about how effective this could be with specifically influencing mood and something really serious, like uh, with mental health and depression. And, one I couldn't find in like looking through peer-reviewed articles any actual clinical trials or research on on depression with this with ASMR as the intervention. However, in the article, same. What's that? Same. I didn't find anything. Yeah. Um. In this article, what they did is they used what's called the Bex Depression Inventory, which is a really really common tool for measuring someone's relative level of depression if they have it, and that they found that there were people who um, would score on that inventory as having depression and would also then experience significant mood improvements in their mood, again, according to the BDI, the Beck's Depression Inventory, uh, during and after watching ASMR videos. So this is a self-report. This wasn't systematic, sort of randomized control trial level of research, but they did have those people um, statistically significantly report that they're their experience with depression did improve while watching ASMR videos. And then it also showed in the study that they did according to the survey that those effects seem to taper off pretty immediately after the, um, the ASMR experience ends with some people returning to those depressive levels after about a, with most people returning to those levels after about a day or less. Um, some people within just a few hours of having watched it now, I mean, interesting. Yeah. Now with the story with Reese that we began with, some people do use this to manage their depression and seem to do so successfully. So, yeah, you know, hey, if it works, it works. Um, but it seems like at least based off of this, you couldn't necessarily recommend this as an intervention by itself. It might be something that supplements a, you know, more rigorous or evidence-based practice. But, you know, maybe there just needs to be better research with this. And maybe it does turn out that this is something that for at least a few people, like they can manage mm -hmm. their symptoms of depression using only ASMR videos. And if so, more power to you. Yeah, no kidding, right? Another one was the chronic pain one we sort of talked about. And there wasn't as much, I guess, solid data on this, but they did have 
there were people who reported that their symptoms of chronic pain did improve uh, from ex- uh, watching those or experiencing those ASMR videos or experiences, whatever they might be. Yeah, and I think we'll have a recurring theme here of there's a, a lot more research that needs to happen here. Yes. So uh, don't take those too far. Don't extrapolate those too far. Right. Um, another one, so you mentioned that study that was published in like June of this year. Um, I found one that was published in September of this year. Of course, a lot of the people who are skeptical of this, including um, if for people are familiar with the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast, the, the main host, Stephen Novella, also publishes on a medical blog. And he had reported, um, I guess it was 2012, I think. So it was, it was, you know, a few years ago now, but yeah. said, you know, we just, we just don't know that much. And like what would be convincing as more sort of biologically based studies that at least for him. And, um, and so to that end, there have been a few of those. And as I said, in September of this year, they had uh, several subjects that were wearing, um, headphones inside of an MRI scanner and they were watching ASMR videos. Uh, I heard that this was like a follow-up study in the one uh, video where I ended up finding the one that I mentioned. Oh, really? From, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that's cool. That it actually followed up. Yeah, that doesn't happen all that often, even though <laughs> yeah. people say that they will and then they just don't. Okay, Funny. so what happened? Well, anyway, they found that there were um, there was a significant difference between uh, when people reported feeling that tingling, uh, which they would press the button, and when there was like activation in a particular part of their brain. And they were comparing time periods when they were watching the video, but also not reporting the tingling. And what they found that was most active during the brain, I'm just going to say a bunch of parts of the brain here for people who want to know was the um the insula and secondary uh, somatosensory cortex the nucleus accumbens and the mpfc and suggested that these were i'm going to quote them here um these were similar to quote activation of brain regions previously observed during experiences like social bonding and musical frisson end quote so going back to that idea that there was some overlap with those people who have those other experiences like frisson um, and also some of the, the the things that are associated with emotional closeness with another person, which is to say that bonding um, as well, that those, those were all similarly activated um, according to the fMRI that they did. Interesting. All right, so that's, I don't know, do you think that sufficiently covers sort of what this is and, and how it seems to sort of look for people? Yeah, I think that's the best that you and I can do it um, without obviously having somebody that reliably experiences all the time on the podcast sharing their perspective. Um, I think that's the best that we can do. So let's try and break down then why why do people experience this? How does this work? Um, you know, what what's going on here, right? So I don't know. I mean, my first thought is, is this relates to our sensory uh, and our, our cueing discussion that we talk about. Yeah, a lot, right? for sure. Um, and I think, you know, I'll point out that one of the reasons we've talked about synesthesia and how it's sort of relating one type of experience to another, a lot of people compare this, this sensation that they experience during SMR to that of like being touched. So sort of like if someone were to gently run their fingernails down your skin or something like that, um, even though, like I said, most of them are not being touched, but they compare it to that type of experience. Yeah. And that's a key distinction here between the two, right? Like not experiencing that touch yeah uh potentially yes i mean that seems to be relevant right now it's possible that they there are maybe the same thing um but down the road but at least right now it seems that most people compare it to that experience without actually having that experience and that makes them distinct if that makes sense and 
And so this has led to some speculation that this is related to sort of grooming and general care, at least the perception of that grooming. Um, and so there was a, a professor named David Huron at the School of Music at Ohio State University. And so he's talking about ASMR and how it sort of relates in a way to our evolutionary history. Um, he says that it it seems to be well, he says really strongly, but he, he he claims that there is a relation here to this altruistic contention and like a non-threatening experience that is um, is very similar to primates who would groom each other and then would derive this sort of bonding and euphoria around that sort of self-care of being groomed and by grooming and not necessarily that they were getting clean, but that they were you know bonding with one another. And, and so that's his claim. Yeah. And he's he's ex, he's extrapolating that to like say jewelry. Like I was listening to This American Life. They had a, an episode where there, someone was describing their tribe, and their tribe was the people that related to this ASMR. How she was searching through all the different jewelry videos, and it was the jewelry niche specifically that was creating this for her. So the idea is he's connecting those two. Yeah that it, there's some sort of evolutionary reason as to why those sort of specific things happen. Can you say more about like, what do you mean by the jewelry? It was, I'm trying to relate it to the most like extreme example that I found, which someone said that it was only jewelry, like watching jewelry be like touched. Oh, um, okay. Was, what was producing this, right? Interesting. So he's saying that experience of that, that isolated, really specific experience, like relates back to our evolution. Um, and these sort of situations, like he's saying that is the link. Interesting. Uh, or are you asking me? Yeah. Yes. I believe that that's the claim here is that we're, we're talking about that sort of deliberate sort of um, gentle, non-threatening touch is the link. Okay. Interesting. And, and that's related to that bonding and grooming and whatnot. Another direction I think to take this in is to sort of break this down and understanding how this works sort of behaviorally. And I think first we can clearly point out that this appears to be reflexive behavior. I mean, even without having to really do like a, a one-to-one correspondence research type of thing, what we're talking about is the auto, the autonomic or non-voluntary responses. And that these are things like, um, like a, like skin or the getting goosebumps and getting that that shivering sensation that these are all sort of bodily responses that are being produced here. And and those are, are all generally speaking reflexes. We're talking about those, um, those muscles and nerve endings that are things that are not part of what are sometimes referred to as the smooth muscles, um, that sort of thing. Yes. And that's why like in the, the 2018 June article I was talking about, they were measuring things like skin conductivity as well as heart rate, because those are, you know, measures of this sort of reflexive behavior. Yeah. Um, and so what's interesting in this particular situation is that these responses seem to be conditioned to these really unique stimuli or the stimulator condition, however you want to phrase it. Um, but that these are these specific situations that would trigger these responses that for they, they really wouldn't normally trigger those responses for most people. They don't that we know. Although, as we said, we really couldn't find prevalence on this. Anyway, it, it was really clearly observed that the overwhelming majority if not really everyone who experienced this, they report this as feeling good. And I almost wonder if it's by definition that you would call it ASMR if it feels good and you wouldn't call it ASMR if it feels aversive or unpleasant. But 
that so the majority of people tend to experience experience this as a good feeling okay so if it's this good feeling things that are good feeling can function as sort of a reward yeah or at least very generally speaking can enrich one's experience in life and so therefore another way that this might work especially thinking about things like depression and chronic pain is that for those with mental health disorders asmr might help temporarily enrich their experience or their sort of general world for a short period of time and that would explain to some extent at least why they would experience relief by using asmr and and this would be true for for those with chronic pain as well you get the sort of general enrichment as well as sort of a distraction away from whatever those conditions normally are that it's sort of replaced or at least superimposed on top of that as this thing that sort of feels good and feels relieving yeah and that's what i was gonna say it's interesting that when you were describing earlier um in this podcast about how people would temporarily experience this relief but then it comes back pretty quickly yeah um that's pretty consistent with certain types of um, treatments or t- ways in which we approach mental health, right? Yeah. It gets you like a little bit of avoidance, um, but it doesn't actually get down to the systemic like root causes, reasons as to why things are going on. So it would only provide that temporary relief until it comes back again. Right. Now, as to why we, why people would experience this at all, um, it's unclear and more research needs to be done. We, <laughs> yep, yep. As we mentioned, that should be that's... like a t-shirt. I think it's unclear and more research needs to be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I might turn that into a re- like a, a t-shirt today. Nice. I'll let you know. Yeah. That'd be, that'd no. be fun. Yeah. This, that's always the thing that we, we hear on this podcast or, you know, science in general, but this area specifically is so new that it is definitely, um, needed. We, I don't think we understand much of it at all right? No. Yeah. I mean, basically what we've been able to do is we can sort of, sort of relate it to things that we do understand and we do understand reflexes and how they work. And we know that this like has, it involves parts of the body that are things that are conditioned as reflexes, but why certain people experience in them, uh, it would just it's unclear. Like it's possible that these things sort of slowly develop in a way that we don't notice them. And so we, those are become conditioned responses, but like some of these things also seem like they're relatively new. Like people haven't really experienced them before and all of a sudden get this sort of tingling. And maybe there's yeah. something in there about novelty. It's just, it's really unclear, like sort of why certain people experience this and others don't, um, how it develops. If it, you know, it would be interesting to experience to show here too, is that, if you have a lack of pairing in, as we understand with reflexes, a lack of pairing, then eventually the response will go away. So yeah. you might get a habituation to it if it's done too much. And that would be something that would really help understand the ex- extent to which this is just those reflexive behaviors. Cause maybe there's, there's something else going on here. Maybe there are those voluntary behaviors that are wrapped up inside of this. Yeah. I know that they want to maintain a distinction away from like sexuality and these sort of areas, right. Yeah. Um, and links. But I'm curious if there's any research in that area that might help inform some of what's going on here since there's a similarity, you know? That, that's a great point. Yeah, that we – it's possible there – maybe there is overlap. Um, but, you know, most of the people report that they don't experience sexually. But maybe in terms of, like, the conditioning and the learning and the, the development, exactly. maybe it's part of the physiology. Like, maybe there is some overlap there that it doesn't um, – it's just not – we just don't know. Like, we don't, have, we don't have the research on that right yeah. now. Yeah. 
That'll be kind of my follow-up searches, looking into areas like that. Just because we know sometimes things, not that there's a direct link between them, but one area of research could inform at least the questions and the type of studies that you want to do in the future. Right. So, you know, I think that we could we could say it's possible that ASMR is not a thing, that people experience something, but it's not anything unique or, or that stands out. Um, but, uh, you know, at least from where things seem to be right now, it does appear to be a legitimate experience that people have. And also, like, this is one of those things where it's it's pretty... It's, it's low stakes. Like, even if this wasn't really a thing, then, the, like, people experiencing it, there's harm is not coming to people. Um, yeah. So, like, the, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of do whatever you want to do that's, you know, works for you. But, <laughs> but like I said, it does, it does seem to be that that's just sort of throwing out there the, the angle of, you know, we want to be parsimonious and conservative in our approach to understanding psychological phenomenon, especially ones that seem to be entirely um, private and, um, and subjective. Um, but you know, like I said, there, there are those, those biologically based studies that do see some, that something is going on here and, um, with the fMRIs and whatnot. And besides that, like, I think that we can, um, there are objective measures like getting goosebumps and, and then there's, it's not totally invalid to uh, have some amount of self-report in understanding the extent to which these things occur. So at least for the time being, it seems like there's something here and we need to learn more about it. Yeah, so if you experience it, please uh, reach out to us privately. Um, I mean, I've got some questions uh, or, or specifically public. if anyone's up with that. Yeah, yeah however you're, you <laughs> yeah, however you're comfortable. It was my point. Cool. Well, I think to just sort of wrap it, I think we sort of actually just wrapped it up and just sort yeah. of saying that you know we first of all we just not that much is known. Um, it does seem to be that the majority of people who experience this, um, the vast majority, if not everyone, that this is a pleasurable thing. And there seem to be triggers that occur around these specific type of senses and experiences. Things like the, there, like I said, there was that intentionality, the deliberate, careful expert movements seem to be part of it, but also these, um, the whispering, the very personal attention, um, seems to be relevant as well. And, um, don't know how many people experience this. It seems to be probably a relatively low proportion who get a really like a intense experience, but probably most people, there's something that's kind of like this that they'll experience at some points would be my guess. I don't really know for sure. Yeah. You got anything else? Great wrap up. No, uh, just really like if anyone's consistently experiencing this and wants to talk about it more, I've got some just like questions and I want to understand better. Yeah, what that is. So I'd love to chat with someone offline if possible. Oh, and hey, this is coming out the day after Christmas. So um, if you're one who celebrates Christmas, then Merry Christmas. And for the yes. secular non-Christmas celebrators, celebrators, is that a word? I don't know. Uh, yeah, people celebrate. Sure. Uh, we'll say happy holidays. Happy Kwanzaa, because I think this comes out on Kwanzaa. Uh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and then happy Hanukkah, if, if, which is over, but you know. I usually just stick with happy holidays, happy new year. Yeah, there you go. Whatever it is that you celebrate. Merry, awesome. Merry, happy, celebrating festivities things. Yeah. All right. Nailed it. I think that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is uh, Ryan O. This is Abraham. We're out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash WWD WWD podcast.
You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.